Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 7, The Prophets, the PH Prophets. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself for a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. Isaiah's had a bit of recent company in the prophet department. A nice small-town boy from southern Judah by the name of Micah has also been lit up, starting back before Ahaz on through to Hezekiah. He's got the perfect name for a prophet. Who is like Yahweh? If you don't think the answer is no one by now, you may as well stop listening at this point and go out and enjoy the rest of your life while you have it. Micah's message has largely mirrored Isaiah's. Micah even quotes Isaiah 2, 2-4 at Micah 4, 1-3. He's mirrored Isaiah with warnings of judgment on both kingdoms, north and south, with Samaria and Jerusalem in the hot seat as I come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, figuratively melting the mountains by my mere presence. Micah 1, 1-9. Here comes the judge. Micah does his job of prosecuting attorney well. His indictment of corruption, heresy, and greed is thorough. You see, like you're watching me do on multiple levels, the prophets are fulfilling multiple roles simultaneously as they live out our call upon them. As we've stated, their primary purpose is to give our kids one last chance to wake up and smell the pending destruction in the hope of spurring the sudden turnaround that would trigger the protection clauses we would love to be required to kick in at this point. Barring that, the prophets are also making sure we do all we possibly can to ensure that our children learn something from the consequences they're bringing upon themselves and are about to go through. Just as your judicial system not only determines guilt and punishment, but also endeavors to make sure in the process that the accused understands the charges against them and knows what they've done to merit the court's intervention, we are making sure Israel understands what's going on. Though all of these consequences were detailed in our covenant and initial instructions, the kids obviously haven't looked any of that up for quite a while. We are not simply thumping them in anger then, with no explanation for why they've gotten in trouble. No one with ears that work will be able to wonder why they're going into exile. We are making sure they know full well what they've done, so they can think about what they've done while they're being punished and learn from their consequences, so that when they reach the other side of their pending punishment in exile, they will have gained the wisdom to know not to do it all over again. Theoretically. So it's all in there for Micah. And he, like Isaiah, is using Israel to largely refer to all my children, not just the ten northern tribes, because they're all a mess. Worshipping other gods with images, idols, pillars, and sacred poles, 
stealing from the less powerful by illegal seizure and false scales, and determining their course by pride, bribe, and consultation with the dead. All those line up in the first two chapters of Micah. Would that they would try consulting me instead of the dead. Micah sums up my children's state as keeping all the works of the house of Ahab in Micah 6.16, which says it all, Ahab being my favorite and all. They may still be directing some of their worship in our direction, sending us calves, rams, and even rivers of oil. But they have forgotten completely how to walk on the way. This is not for lack of information on their part. Micah's rightfully famous words remind my children that I have told them quite clearly what's expected of them and of you. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does Yahweh require of you, to act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8 don't sacrifice your children to me, people. Sacrifice your prideful selfishness. Your worship won't matter until your life is at least making an effort to walk on the way. Not just with me, but with the people beside you, especially in the way you treat them. But my kids are decidedly off the way with no plans to change, and so, not surprisingly, Micah's got a pile of therefore references, too. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble. I am planning disaster against this people. Night will come over you. Zion will be plowed like a field. Israel will be abandoned. And finally, I will give you over to ruin, the ruin you have brought upon yourself despite my centuries of preventative effort. Find all the therefores in one six two three two five three six three twelve five three six thirteen and six sixteen. Like Isaiah, though, in the midst of all his decisive statements of coming judgment, Micah casts hopeful lines into the future to the other side of exile. Three times he uses the tender and protective figure of a shepherd to portray my role in re-establishing the remnant of the flock of Israel. Micah 2, 12, 5, 2, 7, 14. In the last of the three, my role as shepherd is likened to my delivering Israel from Egypt. We noted previously the similar resonance between our people's experience of slavery in Egypt and their exile in Assyria and Babylon. If you look closely, you'll see this theme was established in Tom's earliest pages with the exile of humanity from our presence in Eden. The entire Abra plan is moving toward a permanent end of exile in all its forms. Each time we bring an exile to its end on the way, we point ahead to the Abra plan's final fulfillment. Like the wonders done in my deliverance of Egypt, Micah calls for similar wonders again from my hand to call the nations to turn to me. Micah amplifies the shepherd role to that of king. In chapter 2, after I gather the survivors of Israel together, 
I go before them, leading as the shepherding king at their head. The center shepherd reference in Micah also resonates with Isaiah in that the birth of a child is woven into the destiny of Israel. Bethlehem is pinpointed as his place of birth. And let us note that Bethlehem literally means house of bread in Hebrew. You can still find top-shelf challah there at the Silesian bakery. Here is what Micah writes about the house of bread. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. That's Micah 5, 3-5. Not to spend too much time on this part, but it's one of those pivot points we want you to notice. Your trained ear has already picked up a couple things. Working backwards, in contrast to the current state, the coming child establishes peace, though in Micah's case it comes quite simply, without Isaiah's colorful animal kingdom illustrations. Then... The part about the ends of the earth should trigger your Abraplan indicator. It doesn't say all the nations, but where do they live? The ends of the earth. This ruler is also very strongly connected to me, as he will shepherd the flock in my strength and in the majesty of my name. So he's got resonance similar to Isaiah's forecast child in that regard as well. Micah's two new points are that this ruler will be brought forth from a mother who is in labor in Bethlehem, and that the exile into which our children are headed will not come to an end until he arrives. His coming signals the return of the rest of his people. So we've got a building impressive resume for this guy on whom the renewal of Israel is getting more and more attached, and his origins are from of old. We've definitely had this fellow as part of the plan for quite some time. Now, we've mentioned Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, multiple times already. We've also already let the cat out of the bag and told you he's a good egg or at least a good king. It's nice to have some good news for a change, right? Hezekiah's got a breezy summary in Kings, with a detailed exposition of all his reforms in Chronicles. But both of them give him what amounts to a rave review, by saying that Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, just as his ancestor David had done. Parallel mentions in 2 Kings 18.3 and 2 Chronicles 29.2. This comparison to David has only been used twice before, for Asa and Jehoshaphat, if you're curious. This speaks to Hezekiah's wholeheartedness in following me on the way. So great is Hezekiah's trust in me that he drops his dad's ways of doing just about everything, 
in both politics, he cuts ties with Assyria immediately in 2 Kings 18.7, and religion. More on this in a moment. In a nutshell, Hezekiah does for all Judah what every good cognitive behavioral therapist tries to help any client do who's dug themselves into a hole. Hezekiah gets rid of all the garbage he's inherited from the generation before him and replaces it with the right stuff. You can't do one without the other. It's not enough to just tear down all the shrines and poles devoted to other gods. It's not even enough to pull down all the improvements A has made on our temple. Once the raising with a Z has been done, the raising with an S has to come. If you make money off that phrase by putting it on bumper stickers, t-shirts, or coffee mugs, give half to charity. Yes, get rid of the bad, but that's only half the process. Once you've got a clean slate, a clean land, a clean temple, a clean life, you've got to build new sustaining goodness on top of the clean, which is just what Hezekiah does. He rejects and ejects the refuse of his father Ahaz's blasphemous ways. He cleans up the land, the city of Jerusalem, and my temple. Then he restores worship to me in as grand a scale as he can. The detail with which the chronicler narrates it all is testimony to how important this step of restoration is. The breezy king summary we mentioned is three verses long. Chronicles is three full chapters, a whopping 84 verses in total if you want to compare apples to apples. I'd love it if we ended our time together today with your reading those three chapters, Second Chronicles 29, 30, and 31, since they not only give the detail of Hezekiah's efforts, but also reveal the heart and understanding that move him to set his nation back on course something you might find helpful as well. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.